Thank you so much for joining us for Easter at K First. We had a wonderful first service. Two people gave their lives to Jesus, which is always uh, the best part of the service. And I'm just excited that you've joined with us. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 28, or you can go to the Version app and just look at our notes right then and there. Um, last week, I gave a shout out to Portage Central and Kalamazoo Central for winning district basketball championships. Today, I wanna give a shout out to Schoolcraft High School because I, if I didn't say anything, I'm afraid what Benny might do to me, but regional champs, right? For both uh, the men and women, right? That's awesome. Regional champions, soon to be state championships, and giving me the credit for inspiring them for all their basketball lore. Um, I, I love it. I love, I love watching the teams in our, in our area thrive. Um, I'm a sports guy if you haven't sat through one of my services yet. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 is one of my favorite portions of scripture when we talk about the resurrection. Um, it is uh, it's such a thrill watching the individuals that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and yet in this moment, this moment of what seemed like the darkest moment of their life, watching them get a fresh revelation of what Jesus was truly talking about. Matthew 28, verse one says, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled, wet themselves, and became like dead men. I'm just telling you what I would have done. So... Verse five, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. One translation says he has risen just like he said he would. I love that. Jesus, today is your day. This is your time. Um, and I ask that you would just capture our attention Help us, Lord, not to walk away from this place the same way that we walked in, Lord. I pray that people would understand you in a deeper way and understand that regardless of what story they inherited or what they were given, what they have been told to live, I pray that today they would see we have a new storyline in you. Your resurrection power is here with us. It is upon us, God, and I pray that you're gonna just transform people that they would just taste and see and know that you are good. So Lord, we just bless one and all. We bless this service. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and go blue. Anyways, um, when I talk about uh, counseling and working with, counsel with counselees, when I talk about meeting with people, I like asking about people's backgrounds. I love hearing about people's story. Uh, in fact, it was the psychologist Alfred Adler who asked the question with every one of his um, empl uh, employees, with every one of his uh, clientele, he would say this, what is your earliest memory? What is your earliest memory? I mean, think about that. What's the earliest memory that you can conjure up, that you can think about? Like, what comes to your brain? Um, I asked my dad this morning and he gave me stories about him and his brother uh, messing with the bull on his grandfather's uh, farm, uh, which I have no clue in the world why that would be fun. Mess with a chicken or something that can't charge you. So, but with me, I, when I think of memories, honestly, immediately, like the first five memories I have all have to do with fire. 
Like when I burnt down my uncle's bed and part of his bedroom, uh, when I burnt part of a forest, uh, when I burnt the hole in my, in my uh, what do you call it, my, my bedroom, when I was caught playing with fire in the bathroom, burning up toilet paper was just fun in the moment and didn't think I would get in trouble for those kids watching. Don't do anything that I have done. And I've got lists of things. I mean, that was just my MO so that when I walked the line of graduation, uh, my family just stood with lighters up in the air. It's just who I am. Um, but early, if I went back to my earliest memory, I remember the day my, my sister was born, March 17th, 1979. And I just, and I just have one memory of that day. And it was standing with my grandma and grandpa Behringer and they got me some candy out of the machine. Now, when we talk about candy in the machine, we're not talking about your, your fancy push a couple buttons and the, it electronically opens. I'm talking about put the money in and you got to pull the slot. It's like, it's like you're playing the slots here. You got to pull that thing and something comes down and my grandma and grandpa bought me little Nikos. Ever had Nikos before? If you've never had it, if you see it at Meyer, buy you a pack and then and when you get in the car, taste it and you're going to understand. It is the world's worst candy that you can ever taste. <laughs> terrible. It's like terrible tasting Tums, but it does nothing for your heartburn. Terrible. That's my earliest memory. <laughs> the day my sister was born, the terrible candy. And I do really like reminding her of that every once in a while. I have a little bit of fun with that. But early memories, why is it that it's important for us to think about our memories? Because many times our memories become the baseline for which we live. Sometimes they become the storyline for which we see the rest of our world. And I believe that's why uh, Alfred Adler asked that question. What is your storyline? What's your earliest memory? What's the storyline of your life? Because that storyline affects the way you view the world, affects the way you look at other people. Many times affects the way you look at your spouse or you look at your children, the way you respond to the people around you. Your storyline, what you inherited, what you were handed, what you have lived out has everything to do with how we view the world. Elon Musk, who is the founder of three multi-billion dollar companies, PayPal, Tesla, and SpaceX, um, has something up at his SpaceX headquarters. If you were to walk in SpaceX headquarters, you would see two pictures of Mars. One picture is Mars as it is viewed right now, how it looks right now, lifeless, dead, barren, the red planet. And the one next to it actually looks a lot like Earth. And the question is, is why does he have Mars as it is and Mars as he envisions it because of his stated purpose. What is Elon, Elon, Elon Musk's stated purpose? It's simply this, to colonize Mars. To colonize Mars. Parents in the room, what would you do if your kid said that their intended purpose was to colonize a planet that has no life that exists? I don't know what your response would be. Your, uh, your response might be kind if they were small or if they were 18 and they're saying, this is what I'm going to college for. Uh, you might wonder, you know, how are you going to make any money from this thing? And then they're going to throw Elon Musk in your face. Um, I don't know what your response would be, but my question is, is what drives somebody to make that type of proclamation, what that type of vision, what drives somebody and inspires somebody to live out that dream? And actually with him, I think I understand what drove that dream. It was back in 1950 that his grandparents decided to move from Canada to South Africa, having never been to South Africa. Have any of you 
ever had to move to another country for which you never lived, never visited, but you just up and decided to move to that country. Have you ever done that before? I mean, it'd be like if my parents growing up decided to just snatch us up and move us off to, let me think of a foreign country, um, Arkansas. And we just moved off there to that wild place. This is what the grandparents did. Canada to South Africa. And what the grandfather did was he disassembled his 1948 Balanca cruise airplane, put it all into crates and shipped it to Africa. He then reassembled the plane. And in 1954, Elon Musk's grandparents flew 30,000 miles to Australia and back. And to put that in perspective, this is just 27 years after Charles Lindbergh's transatlantic flight. And his grandparents flew 10 times further than that. They are believed to be the only private pilots to ever make that flight with a single engine airplane. Now, why do we bring that up? Because when I think about Elon Musk and his vision for colonizing another planet, I don't think that he had pizza one day and out of having that pizza, like, oh, I just got this experience. Or he was watching a cartoon and saw the Jetsons. Or he was just having a, a talk with somebody and I want to colonize another planet. I think that none of that vision was built up in a vacuum. I believe that came from the stories that he heard of his grandparents' adventures. Because who in the world dreams of shooting a rocket up in the air and going to another planet and colonizing. It's the grandson, the grandchildren of those that went to a place for which they never lived, put together a vision and began to do what nobody else could do. In fact, Elon's father said this of his parents. We were left with the impression in our family that we were capable of everything. We were left with this idea that we were capable of doing anything and everything just because of the storyline of our family. I want you to understand something. This has everything to do with what we're talking about today. Because in Matthew chapter 28, we've got these two amazing women that went to the tomb for one purpose. Their hope was this, maybe somebody can roll the stone back and then now we can treat the body of our savior in the way that it's supposed to be buried and, and, and have its proper burial. They went with spices, they went with oil, they went with one purpose, they went with the purpose to grieve. We must grieve our savior. We gotta grieve what is going on. And we don't know what lies ahead. Why? Because the one that we trusted in is gone and he is dead. They went there with one storyline. They went there with one purpose. They went there with a, a baseline that was gonna really carry into the rest of their life. And when they walked in, they, began, they realized that the stone was rolled away. Nobody had taken his body, but Jesus had risen. And it's there the angel gives the proclamation and sends out the very first preachers of the gospel of the resurrection. Isn't this cool? In a misogynistic society of that time and that day, the first two evangelists and preachers of the risen savior was two women. So ladies, every time your wife ever says, listen, Eve bit the apple before Adam bit the apple, you, you get to come back with this one here. By the way, it wasn't an apple, but we're not going to get going on that right now. The storyline changed and transformed their life. The resurrection does two things. It reframed their reality and it redefined their possibilities. Let me say that again. The resurrection reframed the reality. The reality was death 
and grieving. But because of the resurrection, all of a sudden, everything got changed. The reality changed. And not only did reality change, but it redefined the possibilities. Because if Jesus can rise again, what else can he do through the power of the resurrection and and through our lives? You see, the cross is more than just a story. It is yours and it is my storyline. Get at that. Get that deep down in your bones that the cross, the resurrection, it's more than a story. It's more than a nice Easter coloring book that we give our children. It's more than just something that we talk about on Easter Sunday morning. It's more than just a a movie that we might watch with our family. It's more than just ink and paper. It is the reality that God came down, man in flesh died, and he rose again for you and for me. And we get to do more than read about it. We get to experience it. We get to live it. And wherever we go, in life. It gets to reframe everything about your life, where your life may have been dictated, so to speak, by what your history may say, but it's where God has the final word in your life. He has resurrected and he's here right now with us. It is the new storyline of our life, and it should be the storyline of your life. It is Richard Mayo Smith who said this. I love this quote. The underlying cause of our difficulties may be, may be that we are living the wrong story. The underlying cause of our difficulties may be that we are living the wrong story. Because many times how we think, how we behave, how we function, sometimes it's just the story that we're living out that we think that we're supposed to live out based upon what somebody has given us, somebody has said to us, or what something has been, the thing that has been done to us. A storyline. I remember it was ninth grade. Ninth grade, I got caught cheating. Mom and dad, the only time I've ever cheated in my life. That's kind of a lie, but we'll deal with that later. But I remember when I got caught cheating and, and the teacher in front of the class, I mean, it was a terrible moment, teacher in front of the class, she says, let me just point out that David cheated today and he needs to be an example because he's a cheater and I bet you his father was a cheater because that's why he's cheating now. Terrible moment. And I'll, I'll admit, never cheated ever again after that moment. But I remember somebody in that moment speaking a storyline over your life, but I want to give you a word this morning. I need to give somebody a word that people have been speaking over your life, their storyline, their version of who you are supposed to be. But I'm here to say that we have a risen savior. And if you put your trust in Jesus, you have a new storyline, a new focus, a new future, a new healing, a new deliverance and a new freedom from the new storyline. So, and I've heard it even said, if you want to see people change behavior, don't try to change the things they do, just change their storyline. Change their storyline. I was reading reading a couple articles on the issue of, of behavioral change, and there is a terminology that therapists use called cognitive repraisal, or as a counselor I talked to the other day, she gave me Uh, cognitive restructure. So cognitive appraisal, cognitive restructure. And the idea is this, the most simple way of saying is, I'm going to give you a new story. So when you go to a therapist, the idea is, let me give you a new restructuring or reappraisal. Because if you look at your life, you see brokenness. But what if we were to, instead of just let you leave with your old story, what if I gave you a new story to live into and to live up to? Because when you tell yourself a different story, it's amazing the perspective that it gives you on life. In 1944, at the Battle of the Bulge, it was bitter, cold, 
supplies were low, morale was even lowered, and the American troops were completely surrounded in the city of Bastogne, Belgium. The German commander sent an immediate surrender demand, and he said, you are surrounded, surrender now. It is then the American General Anthony McAuliffe, he assembled the 101st Airborne Division, and this is what he said to his men. Get a hold of this, this is so good. Men, we are surrounded by the enemy. Therefore, we have the greatest opportunity ever presented to the army because now we can attack in any direction. The enemy says, surrender, you're surrounded. He takes that and uses cognitive appraisal, reappraisal or cognitive restructuring and he flips it around and he tells a different story because he could have lowered his head and said, we are surrounded, what hope do we have? But he begins to turn it around and say, listen guys, this is phenomenal, guess what? If we want to ta- attack the enemy, we can go in whatever direction and we're gonna find victory there. There's a word for somebody this morning that you just feel surrounded by your pain, surrounded by your past, surrounded by what's happened. And I wanna give you a word today that no matter what you feel surrounded by, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is in you. Therefore, it doesn't matter what direction that the enemy thinks that he surrounded you with, you can take a stand and move forward in Jesus' name. You've got a new story. So cognitive appraisal, reappraisal does two things. Number one, it fixes your focus. It fixes your focus. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians chapter four, when he says things that are righteous, things that are noble, things that, things that are praiseworthy, things that are worth your attention. Let's just put it in today's vernacular. Those are the things you ought to think about because whatever you think about is what you're gonna follow. Stop thinking about what people have said. Think about what Jesus has said about your life because it's amazing what we can withstand and what we can walk upon when our focus is fixed upon Jesus. The apostle Peter, Jesus Jesus is walking on the water and the apostle Peter says, if that's really you, call me out of the boat and let me walk on water. So Jesus says, "Uh, come on, get up off of that thing. Sorry, I was gonna go into a music lyric there. get up out of there. And he walks on water. And so when Jesus, when, excuse me, when he had his eyes on Jesus, he walked on water. But when he got his focus off of Jesus on wind and waves, he began to sink. When we start telling ourselves a better story, that cognitive reappraisal, that cognitive um, restructuring, when we start telling ourselves a different story, a better story, it's amazing the type of focus that it actually gives us. Secondly, cognitive reappraisal also helps us to tell a better story about ourselves because we need to tell the better story, the real story, the true story. See, this is not about having the positive of powerful, or excuse me, positive thinking. This is not about having the power of positive thinking. We can gather together and give you positive thoughts. I've got a load of them. Tigers are two and oh, that means we're gonna go 162 and oh, I got the power of positive thinking. The Lions are obviously gonna win the Super Bowl this year. I've got a lot of positive thinking about me. But we're not here to gather for the power of positive thinking. We're here to fix our eyes on Jesus because when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we begin to live out his story, it doesn't ignore the circumstances. Fixing your eyes on Jesus doesn't ignore the circumstances. All it does is it puts our circumstances in the right perspective. 
because I can go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't have to fear. Why? Because he is with me. That according to Isaiah chapter 43, I can go through the waters and go through the fires. I won't be drowned or burned. I don't ignore the fire. I don't ignore the water. Why don't I don't have to ignore it? Why? Because the Lord is with me. There is, it's not positive thinking. It's telling the right and true story about your life. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. You're not too broken. You're not unfixable. You are not surrounded by an enemy with nowhere to turn. You have Jesus here with you. And resurrection power tells the better story about you. No matter what your current story says, there is good news that there's been a resurrection and your story isn't over. I love that. Your story isn't over. Even if death showed up at your door, I'm here to tell you that even death doesn't have a sting any longer. Why? Because of a resurrection. No matter what shows its face, not even death has the power to contain the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so this weekend, I don't know what type of storyline that you're facing and I don't know what type of storyline that you have gone through. I don't know what type of storylines that you're going through. I don't know what you're handed. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what you have done to create a storyline, but I am here to tell you that all we need to do is to give you a brand new story to follow, a brand new word, that God has a better word for you. God's got a better story. He's got a better narrative if you'll just put your trust in him. All we have to do is go back to the cross and we can look at the greatest moment the greatest moment of love, take ourselves three days later into the tomb and see the greatest moment of power and to realize that this can become yours and my storyline. You see, if there's anything I've understood about this is that there's a difference between a storyline and a footnote. I'm writing, I'm, in, I'm writing my third book and it has been a struggle to get this book done. And if there's anything I've, I've understood about writing books is you can have a storyline, but it's not the full footnote. A footnote is a moment, but the storyline is what guides everything. And for the pain of your past and the sin of your life, I think it's time that we take those moments and we make that the footnote and not the cross. The cross is never meant to be a footnote in your life. You know what a footnote is? A footnote is an accessory. It's something that you tag on. The cross and the resurrection was meant to be the storyline, what drives and moves and operates and flows in and through your life and letting everything else be a footnote. It is the reality of the cross and the resurrection that defines who we are and what we are about. My friends, you are a child of God, the workmanship of of, of his hands. You are more than a conqueror. You are wonderfully and beautifully made in his image. You're a child of the most high. And I don't care what people have said to you. I don't care if the world, if the, if the people around you have just started the end credits on your life. You know what the end credits are? It's at the end of a movie when you think it's done. Now my son and I have a rule because we made this mistake once that whenever we go see a movie, we wait till the end credits are done and then we wait till the lights come up. Know why? Because all those great gospel movies, you know the ones Marvel made, all those great Christian movies that came out, they mastered the art of in the middle of the credits or at the end of the credits, having something more something more for the audience. And my son and I love when all of a sudden the, the, the 
clip starts playing and people start running back into theater, not realizing that there was something more that's there. You know what the resurrection was? That was the greatest end credit moment in history when the world wrote Jesus off. Even his disciples were hiding and the ladies at least had the guts enough to go leave the locked room and go take care of the body of Jesus. Even when the end credits are rolling, the resurrection still says, there is more to be done. Don't listen to what people have said. Mary and Mary at the tomb, they're there to grieve. They're there to mourn. They're there with broken hearts and they needed that cognitive restructuring. They needed a new story spoken that Jesus was dead, is alive, and there's more to the story. And the beauty is this, is when we accept that resurrected power, he changes what we were and grafted into something new. It was years ago that I was on a trip with my daughter and I love doing preschool trips with my kids. Um, when, whenever they, they needed chaperones, I love volunteering and being a chaperone. I just wanted to be the cool dad. And I think more so I thought I was the cool dad and I don't think the kids really thought I was cool. Uh, but it's just what dads do. We've got great dad jokes as well. And we went to the cider mill and I'll never forget just listening to the guy working there. And he was talking about that they can dictate what type of apple trees they wanted to grow. And it boggled my mind because I'm like, well, if it's a golden delicious, it's going to be a golden delicious. If it's, um, I, I'm literally, Granny Smith, I'm almost blanked out on my apples. If it's a Granny Smith sapling, it's going to make a Granny Smith tree. But he says, listen, if we want a specific type of apple tree to grow, what we do is we take the sapling, we split the top of it, and we take a live branch from another one. For example, Honeycrisp, which is God's choice of apples, by the way best apples. But we take a honey crisp branch, we put it on there and we tape it up and we nurture it. And no matter what that sapling started off at, because of a grafting that took place, we can grow it to be what it needs to be. I don't care how you started. I don't know what you've grown up with. I don't know what you inherited. But because of the resurrection you are grafted into a new redemptive story. We know this. Dad and I had this conversation a couple weeks ago, I think it was, maybe it was a week ago, and we're talking about just family, a little bit about family history. I said, Dad, tell me about great-grandmother again. And my great-grandmother um, on, on, my, on my dad's side was a witch, literally. Dabbled in a lot of black magic and a lot of the occult. And there are stories about tables and things flying through the room. And if you don't believe in the supernatural, talk to the family. Uh, we'll, we'll, tell, we'll tell you some stories. And it was my great-grandfather who was a child at that time, maybe a teenage, I don't know his age, but the story goes that that's just, that's, that was the sapling that he was and that's what he inherited. That was his background, it was darkness. And while walking, he had heard something that he had not heard before. Now, he heard music before. We have all heard music, but there was something different about this music. And what it was was a, a little storefront church was just playing, playing gospel music. And something about the music drew him in. And all of a sudden, a sapling was split and a new branch began. And that branch now carried into my grandfather, Harry, into my grandpa, Paul, and then to my dad, and then now to myself, and now into my son and my daughter. Because the story got to change, and just because something was born in one manner, just because brokenness was handed, doesn't mean a story can't change. 
when you put your faith in Jesus, you get grafted into a redemptive story. I love what the scripture says in John chapter one, verse 12, to as many who have received him have the power to become the children of God. Now, I don't care how you started. You could be like Mary and Mary on your way to the tomb. You're just in this mode of life, a mode of maybe hopelessness, a mode of brokenness, a mode of a lot of questions, a mode of, I don't know how we're gonna navigate in the life, a mode of, well, this is what we thought was gonna go on. And all of a sudden the rug got pulled out from underneath our feet and we don't know what life is going to hand us. And all we know is to stay in the mode that we are in until they came and they experienced the empty tomb. And all of a sudden it changed everything. The story of Jesus changed their story into them having their own resurrected story. And if you're here today, maybe that's you, a sapling, planted and grown just by who you are and the nature of your own story. And not here just to try to change your behavior. And listen, there's a lot of behaviors in this world I would like to change. I'd like to deal with a lot of things with drugs and alcohol. I like to deal with a lot of things with laws and things. There's a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans. I would like to turn away from that ungodly team. There's just numbers of behaviors and things that I would love to change. But I've learned this, that I can't change people's behavior, but you know what I can do is I can introduce, introduce them to a new storyline. And it's a story of a resurrection. And for those who would receive Jesus, for those who would receive Jesus, he gives the power to become children of God. Let's use some different vernacular. He gives the power to have a brand new story, a brand new future, a brand new present. You see, if you embrace the resurrection today, it, it will begin to change your story for the story that you will tell one day. I am here because of grandparents, great-grandparent that got a hold of Jesus I don't have a grandparent that dismantled a plane and took it all the way to Africa and redid that. I've got a better story because I got a grandfather who received Jesus that decided to pass that on and to pass that on and they begin to give us a far different story. And if you need that story in your life, you've come to the right place because that's what we celebrate every Easter. Bow your heads with me. Today is the day for a new start, for a new story. Maybe today that you are literally in the shoes of both Mary Magdalene and Mary. I love what the, Matthew says, the other Mary. These two amazing women on their way to the tomb in a mode of life. I, I cannot imagine the utter hopelessness and the grieving that they felt in that, in that day, living in the wake of losing their Savior. But in just one moment, one moment, they hear a message and a storyline that they decided to step into. Instead of walking away in disbelief, they embraced the story that the angel proclaimed, he has risen, just like he said. And maybe you're here today, and the reason why I do heads bowed and eyes closed is just to give privacy in the house. If you're here today, and maybe you're in that place where maybe the life that you've been living just has not been the best way of living. 
Maybe you've been living hopeless. Maybe you've been living a life that you just feel broken on the inside out. Maybe you've been following a storyline that somebody spoke over you or simply a storyline that somebody handed to you. But you're recognizing today that there's a new storyline that you can embrace. There's a new story that can actually be your story too. Maybe today you've, maybe you've never embraced the story of Jesus. Maybe today, maybe you've wandered away from your faith in Christ. Today is a brand new day to start fresh. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Dave, I'm ready to start a new, a new story. I'm ready for that grafting. I'm ready for a new life to be put in my life because I am done living the way that I have been living. I'm ready to start a new story in Jesus. I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you need to make that decision, could you just real subtly, just quickly, just lift up your hand. I wanna know who I can pray for. You're here today and you need to, you need to give your life to Jesus. I just wanna give opportunity. Thank you over here to my right. That's awesome. You can put that hand down. Anybody else, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You're ready for a new storyline. You're ready. You're ready to just leave the one storyline behind and ready to start something new, but you need resurrection life in your life. Just anybody else, I just want to give a few more seconds. You need to give your life. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else, you need to give your life to Jesus. For those that lifted their hands and even for those watching online, that may be making this decision right now. Would you pray with me? And let's just make it this simple. Jesus, I invite your story into my life. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that my life is broken. I admit that I don't have it all together. But today I wanna be grafted into your life, into a new story. I know I am no longer who I was because today I put my faith in you and today I begin, begin a new story because I'm a new creature. So God, help me, guide me, lead me as I surrender my life to you. Lord, my prayer is this, is that you would help us as a church family to gather around them to celebrate your goodness and celebrate your grace have walked them into this journey because the beauty is not only is your story now our story but we get to share the story together and work on the story together as we follow after you and lord i pray that you would help us to do more than just recognize what we've been given but lord help us to live out and to share that story with the world around us god you haven't called us to, to go to church you've called us to be the church and to share the transformative story of Jesus, of what he has done, what he's doing in us, and what he's going to continue to do with the world around us. So God, I thank you for these moments. I thank you for these people who are making decisions. I pray that, Lord, you would do a magnificent work in and through them, God, as they continue to follow after you. We love you, Lord, and to you be the glory and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,